to you. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Now, excuse me for a minute. I left my Bible study down somewhere. I have to uh, look for it real quick. over there? Sorry about this, people. I, I set it down somewhere and I can't find it. Huh? Well, I had some notes stuck in it. You had it? Bring it up here, Owen. No, that's not the one, though. Okay, go ahead and bring it up, daughter, anyway. Yeah. No, that's not it either. Well, I brought it in a few minutes ago. Yeah, have a look for it, daughter, if you could. Uh, okay. All right, well, we're doing the, uh, the third one today. Life after death. If I could have... Uh, Somebody open with reading the introduction, please. If we have a volunteer for that, that would be, yeah, life after death, yeah. Third section. We could uh, get the ball rolling here. Sean, if you could. Many years ago, I was staying a few days in Cape Town, South Africa. Among the people I wanted to meet was an elderly man who lived on the edge of the city in one of the outer suburbs. We arranged by telephone that I would drive out in a rented car and have supper with him and his wife. He gave me detailed instructions of how to find him. Unfortunately, when I set off, it was dark and rainy, and I managed to start in the wrong direction on the expressway. Since he had told me to go for 10 miles or so before checking for the signs to turn off, I didn't worry until I'd gone at least 12 or 15 miles and none of the signs were making sense. Eventually, I turned off the road and I asked at a garage. They hadn't heard of the district I was looking for, never mind the street. I was totally on the wrong part of town. Only gradually, when we studied the map, did I realize my mistake. I'd been driving confidently, believing I was doing the right thing. But with every minute, I had been going further and further from where I wanted to be. Yeah, so an interesting story there, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to, of, of confident you go in the right direction for miles and miles, only to find out, wait a minute, what's happening here? And me being a truck driver, I've done it a few times, um, which is not good, you're trying to get somewhere on time, but no, for example, um, I had one, I want to say it was about a year ago, just before the, the, the shutdown, and I had delivery, I was in the prior area that day, and it was a delivery out to a small little community I'd never been to before. And so it was a residential delivery, uh, like a 350-pound grill or something the guy had ordered from Georgia. And, uh, but to get to his house, there's a main road, like a two-lane busy road, and then there's a county road off, a gravel road down to the side, and his house was 100 yards off another detour of that, that gravel road. So there's no way I could get there in my 75-foot tractor trailer 
But the idea was to meet him out on the road, and he'd back up his pickup like we do sometimes and, and lower it into his, uh, his bed of his pickup. But couldn't find it for love or money. Couldn't find any of the signage that he gave me, you know, things to look for. And ended up being that he wasn't even there. He, he'd meant to meet me about three miles away. But the directions got all messed up. But luckily, he had a really friendly, helpful neighbor who came out to me, used his tractor to unload it, and, and then put it, the guy had got to us by this point, put it on the back of his pickup. But uh, that was a classic case right there of going the wrong way and, and things not working out. But any other examples anybody want to give me? Yes, yes Doyle. I remember one time when I was traveling, I was younger. This is this little kind of kid may not understand how I found my way to where I was going, but you, the older people, will. I remember we were going to Oklahoma City. I was going to Oklahoma City with somebody here. I somehow went north from Oklahoma City, and I noticed the road didn't even match anything I remembered. So I pulled out a road map and figured out where I was at, and then finally I got to church on time. But because thanks to the road map, but yes, you can get lost easy. Is all I'm trying to say. Oh yeah, yeah, very easily. Of course, today with the GPS and the our cell phones. Roadmaps become a thing of the past in a, in a way, a lot of ways. Okay, well, let's move on here to the actual get into the study and some of the questions. Um, again, if I could have a volunteer to read the first part, which is Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7, that would be good. We could have a uh, volunteer for that if they had the Bible on them. Bridge? Yeah. Okay, verses 1 through 7, please. Yeah, use, use that, uh, that microphone there, yeah, there you go. I'm reading from the New King James. Uh, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us to up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in uh, Christ Jesus yeah, so another wonderful piece of literature by Paul there, translated from the original. So into the, uh, the first question then, we live in a world where human beings left to themselves not only choose the wrong direction, but remain cheerfully confident that it is in fact the right one. What forces lure or compel us to go in the wrong direction spiritually? And it references verses 1 and 2 specifically. But uh, uh, what forces lure or compel us to go in the wrong direction spiritually? Yes, art. What was that, sorry? Hello? There you go. The opposite sex. <laughs> yeah, right. Seeking love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Here you go. Or, or more appropriately, perhaps, the, the wrong people. Keep yourself, mate. Huh? And, and, uh, <laughs> and not being able to 
the, 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 the emotions that are involved right. overpower the obvious that are in front of us. Absolutely, yeah. What was that? Oh, Barnabas, yeah. The course of this world has a lot to do with our human tendencies, and the way we think, the way we act, and the things in society that influence us, either right or wrong, and we all have had that kind of conversation in our past, and uh, we can look around and we can see how in today's world all of these tendencies, the carnal nature, has an effect on all of us in some way and pulls us in the wrong direction. Yeah, I think more than any other, more than any other time in, in history, the forces of darkness are unbelievable in this world right now. Yes, my own wife, Carla. Our basic carnalities. We all have human needs, but if we go about seeking those needs in the wrong way, it causes us to sin. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and right now, and unfortunately here in the United States of America, we have so many things that do make it easier to go, go and sin, like so. Las Vegas, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. Yes, uh, Keith. I just was going to add to with our carnality is the prince of this world, which I think Paul's alluding to. He's like saying there's a darkness that's trying to cover up our eyes to what is real and what is true. So, you know, he works with, you know, the prince of the darkness works with our carnality and, and enticing us. I believe in the verse says that we are enticed. Well, he's the enticer. And he just works on our lust and our flesh. So, yeah, big time. Satan and his demons are always at work, looking for those they can devour and and lead astray. So, and then the second part of this: What reasons have you heard people give for the direction they go in their life? Kind of part B of that question: What reasons have you heard people give for the direction they go in their life? Yes, Renee. One of the things that I've noticed recently in the media, when people are talking, it's kind of become a vernacular phrase. They use this term, my truth. Well, this is my truth. Well, this is my truth. And it, it can't be. There is a truth. There is the truth with capital T. And when we start individualizing that and saying, well, this is my truth, then we dilute the meaning of what truth is. Yeah, in the, in the sense of I've also heard a lot of politicians say, um, I misspoke. What does that mean? You misspoke, you lied? I mean, come on. Um, yeah, Sean? I hear it every day. They say that they're going to go to hell anyway. Oof. Yeah. And then Dala? Um, I've <clears throat> heard especially women giving their spouses an excuse. Um, my husband does this, so da da da. I'm going to go along with something I know is wrong using their spouse. You can't do that. You have a brain yourself. Use it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and people get in all kinds of trials and the stress of life, so they'll then go to alcohol and drugs, and, and it just goes down the wrong path. Yeah, Aletha? The new buzzword, we do it for the greater good. Yeah, yeah, that's a popular answer, too. Okay, well, let's um, go on to the second question here. What, according to Paul, characterizes people who are going in the wrong direction? What, according to Paul, characterizes people who are going in the wrong direction? And he uh, references verse 3 here. 
Yeah, Sean. Well, we're made to fill a void. And if you're not filling the void with God, you're going to fill it with something. And it does mention the lust of the flesh, uh, the fulfilling of the desires of the flesh, the eyes, and it's around us everywhere, commercials for cars, women, whatever the case may be. It's on your phone. It's in magazines. It's everywhere. And um, that's where people are going to go if um, they're not filling themselves with God. Yeah, and absolutely. In my, in my study Bible, there's another little uh, bit that adds to that. It's not just the lust of the flesh, you know. It's also the other things like um, uh, power, fame, wealth. That's all things that we, we lust for and would like to get and, and saying can, can lead us in the, in the wrong path and that. Anybody else? Yes, uh, Reg? There's a phrase in verse 3 that says, where we were by nature children of wrath. Wrath is anger. And there's a lot of anger in the world today that's splitting this nation apart. Yeah. Yes, specifically the last couple of years, really. Yes. Uh, it's, it's not good times in that sense. I hope that things turn around. Um, but it, it, it's not good right now. So let's move on to the, uh, the third question here. If the problem is that the settled and habitual behavior of the whole human race leads people on the fast road toward death, the ultimate destruction of their humanness, the answer provided by God is a way through death and out into a new sort of life entirely. What has God done for us to get us on the right road? And he's referencing verses 4 through 6 here. What has God done for us to get us on the right road? Yes. Ron, yes. Uh, well, he died for us. Uh, and uh, he applied his blood to us and forgave us. It's like we're innocent. And as long as we stay in that attitude, we'll go the right way. But if we, well, Scripture says uh, mankind... Uh, seeks his own right. He wants to do his own thing. That's why he does what he does. But when you come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then you understand he has control now. So it's his blood that gives us the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Through God's kindness and the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Was there somebody else over there? Yes, Matt? And it, uh, the other part that goes with that Right, which is, uh, you know, because Scripture says why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, he's done that, but we are totally oblivious to that fact. So he reaches down individually to individual lives. It's through some sort of media, through an individual, through reading his word, whatever it is, but he reaches down and pulls us out of the muck. You know, it's kind of how I described it in my answer. To be even aware that he died for us. You know, and, and, and that's one of the things that is um, more and more apparent is that, you know, there's a, a, a growing lack of biblical knowledge just in our, our community, our country, even just from a secular standpoint, you know, from a historical standpoint. Um, and so it's going to be even more important for us as those ambassadors for Christ to, to be the tools that he can use to reach others with the knowledge of his death and resurrection. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, uh, Keith? I think it says in the, he applies his mercy, which is giving us what we don't deserve, and then gives us his grace, which is giving us 
more than we deserve. I mean, it's just like he's piling on us, like Matt says, to be able to pull us up and out by giving us that mercy and that grace, which his grace is the ability, his ability in us to pull us out. So that's what he does for us through you know, his, his son's resurrection. Yeah, like, like we mentioned last week. Yes, Owen, go ahead. Pardon me if I'm wrong here, but we're all talking about the sacrifice of God, uh, Jesus Christ and his sins. I think we take Jesus' death for granted. I really do. If you think about it, people seem to, like Matt was saying, people are, the lack of knowledge a lot of people have in the Bible today, and people are like, oh, Jesus, I died for his sins, so I can do this. No, that's not how it goes. I mean, it's, no, no, no. You're supposed to keep a good life God has told you to do. Correct, yeah, and, and like what I was going to say was like in last week's lesson study we, we learned about how a lot of people don't even realize this, they don't understand, don't care to know the most powerful event that ever happened in the history of the world was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power that God has over life, over death. He raised Jesus Christ back to life after three and a half days in the grave. Okay, well... Rich, did you want to say something? There's a phrase in here, through grace are you saved. But we want to be aware of something here. Uh, the unmerited pardon, the, the grace that we get is not an excuse for not doing good works. And right. that's something that the uh, um, Sunday keeping churches have made an error in doing. They, they, they say that by grace alone you can be saved. And, and but we are committed unto works as well. Right. And if you make the mistake of, of assuming that, you get make uh, grace into a license to sin. Yeah. 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 There's always ways of making excuses and carrying on the life you led before or, or whatever. So don't get caught in that trap. Um, and then here we got question four. So why does God love us so much? Why does God love us so much? Yes, David? In real life, most parents love their children. Some, you know, shouldn't be parents, but most parents love their children. God is a parent. He has a plan for multiple millions of family members which we're going to be a part of it. He has a plan in which to fill that, just like an executive would fill the, the positions of a, a new company filling up, you know. But anyway... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is the ultimate of love. And I think to, in, in a lot of respects to be able to have children of your own and to be able to see them and to see the awesomeness of it when they, when they first come out of the womb when they are born. Some few of us have had that opportunity, you know, that if we love our children, it's hard. I mean, we can understand just a little bit how God loves all human beings. Yeah, I'm not afraid to, sh to say I wept when I saw my son. That big lad right there coming out of the womb, yeah. Uh, incredible gift that God gives us uh, of having our own children and, and the joy they give us. And that, that's what makes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that much more unbelievable is that God the Father was up there watching his son go through it without a word being accused by the Romans and the Jews going along with it in a sense the, the Jewish higher up authorities and Caiaphas making up their 
their way of accusing him to get him executed. And then watching his son getting the nails pierced in his skin, hanging up on that, that, that tree, that cross, and dying of asphyxiation. And of course, could have sent millions of angels down there immediately to save him. But no, this was part of the big plan. His son had to be sacrificed, die, and then be resurrected again. And it, it, it's so powerful. Yes, Keith. Just as uh, David was talking about that, it spawned the thought, the verse where it says, I think it's you, Jesus speaking, he says, you being evil, still you would give these good gifts to your kids. He says, how much more your father? I thought, so true. We think we're good parents and how much we love our kids. And he says, up and beyond that, I'm the perfect father. So no matter what it may look like, because sometimes we don't think it looks like he loves us and how things are going. He said, no matter what it looks like, I have your perfect you know, heart in mind when I'm doing everything I do. So he is the perfect, perfect father. Absolutely, yeah. Sean, yeah. And just talking about what Keith has mentioned makes me think of the prodigal son. The father loved him so much that he had gone off and gone astray and came back and he was, hey, let's prepare a feast. And no matter how far off we get, no matter how bad our situation gets, God's there for us and he loves us. I mean, he's cheering us on and wants us to uh, turn our lives around and come back to him. But all that time, he, he loves us no matter what. Absolutely. Yeah, and I've felt that love many times in my life when I've been down and out. And uh, he's almost there for us 24-7, 365 days a year. Okay, let's move on to question five here. How did your own change in direction through Christ come about? How did your own change in direction through Christ come about? Any takers? Well, I'll give you my wife what she wrote down here. This is a good one. I didn't want to be that person anymore. Yeah. Changing direction through Christ. Any 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 offers? Anybody? Yes, Fran. By um, learning His truth. Uh, you know, when you're walking in, in the world, you think you know the truth. You, you think you understand. But when he opens our minds and we begin to see our fallacies and see ourselves, then we want that change. We want to be like him. Yes. Are we going to say something, Linda? Okay, yeah. hey, Owen, over here. Well, I think most of you know that we have a Baptist background, and so we spent 27 years there. Um, Ken was a deacon, and I was Sunday school teacher and tr church treasurer and all that. And we, um, even though we still had questions, we accepted things by faith. You know, we, we didn't really understand the Easter thing, but 
you know, we, we just accepted it. And we started asking questions and we never were, were getting any good answers from our pastor or anybody. And so we, we just started doing some of our own deeper Bible study and um, we started noticing other little discrepancies and uh, that we never noticed before. So I feel like we wasted like 27 years serving God, you know, even though we were serving God. Right. Some, some Baptists are, you know, the hardest working people you'll know, you know, but they're, they're not all, they're not all, you know, doing that, what they're supposed to. Right. Well, let's move on to question six. God made us alive and raised, and raised us up in Christ, referencing verses four through six. What does verse 7 say God desires to accomplish by this? God made us alive and raised us up in Christ. What does verse 7 say God desires to accomplish by this? Yes, Matt. So uh, for that, I put, God desires to show us the unfathomable riches of his love and mercy and grace towards us. We simply cannot comprehend the wonderful life and riches he has prepared for us. This whole life is just prologue. The real story has not even begun. Of that, the way that Paul has that poetry in there, that in the ages to come, he might show us. He can't even show us right now. We couldn't even understand it right now. It's going to take ages for him to show us. Yeah. What he's prepared for us. Right. Absolutely. So much, so much more we don't understand here. Yes, Barnabas, yeah. <clears throat> to enlarge just a little bit on uh, Matt's uh, interpretation, I think at a point somewhere in the distant future, like Matt said, the full power and glory of the purpose of why we live will be shown and uh, it's like the scripture says that eye has not seen or ear heard the things that God has prepared for them that love him so we see that at that time to come there will be the ultimate demonstration of Jesus's love of God's love for his children so just uh, all of that makes us really wonder about doing our best to enter into that kingdom. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, Reg? Fourteen billion years ago, God, according to the scientists anyway, God created the universe. And he did so to produce a factory just to produce us as, human, as members of his family, future members of his family. So he has a huge, huge investment in us and in this universe and putting it all together that we might become the children of God. Yeah, that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? Become children of God, the family of God. And what a plan he has had going for millions of years. Absolutely, you look at it that way. So, um, of course, lots of people who are heading at speed in the wrong direction 
want to thank want to think of God as a bit stingy or mean or small-minded just as people who are enjoying their drive don't like it if someone tells them they go in the wrong way and that they're about to pass the last chance to turn off and head back again but the crucial factor here as always is Jesus himself take away his resurrection and for all anybody knows the road to death is the only road there is put it back in the picture though and you realize two things first there is another way second you are urgently summoned to turn around and follow it so let's have uh, another volunteer to read the second part of our study here which is Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10 another volunteer for that please two verses or three verses I guess 8, 9 and 10 yes Barnabas for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them right so what is the means of our salvation referencing verses 8 and 9 what is the means of our salvation <clears throat> yes Barnabas the means of our salvation is that Christ paved the way for it through his sacrifice uh, and forgiveness of our sins yes how many got here in our answer salvation through faith which is a gift from God and us being called is, is a gift too and here we are at church today going through the study well I'm going to move on to the next question then uh, question number eight Paul's gospel is all about grace that is more than mere enrichment it gives it gives life to the dead it is God's free undeserved gift many people think they can earn our salvation by doing good works you ever feel like you need to earn God's favor or grace if so why do you think it's hard for you to accept his grace as a free gift? Yes, Renee. So I think um, some of us, and I, I was going to say the younger generation, but I'm really more of a middle generation now, who had the opportunity to grow up in a church that emphasized the importance of keeping God's law. It, as that, it was very easy for me just sort of to, um, I guess, absorb this idea that, okay, I have to keep the law so that I can be saved. And I don't know that it was ever taught that way intentionally, but that was sort of what I absorbed. And as a result, I had some confusion that I had to sort through in my teenage years. Um, and I think that this is a really good um, explanation here. And not to skip ahead, but verse 9, or question number 9, asks, why did God save us? So I think God saved us 
for the good works. So the grace comes first, the good works come as a result of that salvation through grace. But it's important to get the sequence of events accurate. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you because I was in the same boat. I grew up in Worldwide Church of God as a, as a youngster and as a kid. I was born into it. And then when the changes happened in the Worldwide Church of God in 1994, 1995, that threw all us teenagers and young, young folk for, for a loop. You've been teaching such and such a thing for so many years and you, you do this? What is going on? So a lot of confusion there for myself for a few years. Yes, uh, Keith. I think uh, being told over and over and over again by not just parents but different people that there's nothing free in life. You know, you've got to earn your way. Um, you're told to work. For if you're going to earn, if you're going to get anything in life, you're going to have to get out there and work and earn it. So I think we get told, especially the men, get told, you know, you, there's nothing free. So I think that's one part of it. But the other part is I think once we come into this knowledge, kind of like Renee was saying, we get told about the, the commandments. And I'm just coming into this over the last five years of following commandments and following the law as a part of our salvation that it gets confusing and I think part of my dilemma too then is I think I'm able to accept his salvation for my sin that I can't do that so that part I'm okay with but then the constant reminder is to be accepted and to stay in his love and to stay in his grace I've got to now I've got to do those good works are not just as a result of who I am but they're for me to continue to earn or I'm going to fall out of his grace and I think that's where I get confused and sometimes it's hard because as a father, I look at my children, I go like there's nothing they could ever do that would deny my love for them. And that's, so I think for us, it gets to be where we got to realize that this grace, kind of like Reg was talking about, this grace is not a, a license to sin, but at the same time, this grace gives us the ability to realize we can live in a relationship with a father who loves us no matter how we do and that what we do is a result of who we are so in other words the sequence is important you don't do things to earn his love you got to realize you're loved and your heart's been changed now that's why you do the good works so once you kind of get those things I think that's what's been difficult for me but get those things lined up and then you like you understand what grace really is and so when Paul was told you can't preach this gospel of grace. You know, people are going to go out sinning all over the place. And Paul had to make them understand. No, once people realize who they are in Christ, they won't want to sin. So it's not going to be a matter of this grace is going to be a sloppy grace that they're going to go around using it to their advantage. No, they're not going to want to do that. So, Absolutely, yeah, because it's, it's not normal, is it? Because we, we do live through life where nothing is for free. But... This is a gift from God, and it is free. And even the most wretched people, murderers, are given a chance by God if they stop what they're doing, turn around their life, look to Jesus Christ, they, they, they will get that free gift. Yes, Reg? It is a gift of God. We cannot earn a gift. If you try to earn a gift, it's no longer a gift. It is... Um, now... Uh, uh, if you do so, you start asking questions of consequence to say, if God forgives sin by grace alone, what exactly is the disadvantage of sinning? Or what is the reward of, of, of obedience? It can't be a license to sin. 
It cannot be a license to sin. It has to be accepted as a gift, and we do not earn gifts. Right. Correct. Yes, Sean. I'm probably just basically saying the same thing, but it's easy to carry around your baggage. We need to remember that, like Reggie said, it is a gift. We can drop that baggage and move forward. When we make a mistake, God's there for us. We just repent of it. We move forward. Even when we're in the midst of our garbage and we're stuck in a slimy pit, whatever the case may be, he is there for us. But he just wants our attitude to be, hey, I'm sorry, and you move forward. That It's not about, um, it is a gift that we just keep trying and do better. Yes. As the friend. So it tells us that um, God will put his mind in our hearts, his law in our hearts and in our minds. We don't keep his law to earn our salvation, but we keep the law because we love God and we want, we want to do the right thing. It's good for us. It's good for us. Yeah, and that's why he, he didn't create robots. He created us human beings with the free will. That's why it's so much, it probably is so much better when we do choose to follow him. Yes, Matt? Um, I I think it's part of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because the Lord is an expression of his character and his nature, the righteousness that he wants us to follow. And, you know, Paul later describes the Lord as a schoolmaster and, you know, being, uh, following the lessons, right? We all have learned lessons from when we were in school that we don't sit down and say, okay, I'm going to learn algebra again today. We just use it. And so it, it, it's, it's almost a false argument, I think, in some ways, um, because a lot of churches, while they may say grace only and grace plus nothing and so on, they would also tell their congregation and tell one another, well, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't, don't, don't do these things that are uh, very clearly defined in the, in the law. So I always describe those kinds of churches as being like the, uh, the, the son that said, no, I won't do that, and then goes away and does it anyway, you know, to, to his father. Um, so it's better than, than not, but it would be even better for the world if they had not broadcast grace alone, grace plus nothing, because now we don't, we don't have a large moral guide in the community, in the world, to say there's right and wrong, because the churches have failed, because they've said there's, there's no law anymore. Yeah, maybe it's, it's for us out there to, churches like us, to preach uh, that a bit better. Yeah. Yes, David. As some of them have already said, uh, some people will make a mistake of either being law or grace. You know, they get on one side or the other, and it's actually, in reality, it's law and grace. You know, when, uh, when on the day of Pentecost, they said, you know, what shall we do? And they said, repent you, therefore, and be baptized. You know, what do you repent of? And, uh, uh, you know, like it's been mentioned many times today and many other places in the New Testament, we cannot, absolutely cannot deserve anything. We can't pay for our past sins. Uh, the sacrifices, animal sacrifices, and all the other stuff did not do away with sin. It reminded the people of it. But uh, we, we, it is a free gift, and we are very, very thankful for that. But we can, as some said, we can throw that away if we choose. We can throw that away. We can quit doing that. And as Matthew said, some of the churches will tell you, uh, you know, we, no, we can't sin. We can't, we can't lie anymore. We can't cheat. We can't commit adultery. 
And, uh, but it is definitely, uh, many scriptures will tell you it's a combination of both. And in, in James, the uh, second chapter, 14 through 26, he tells you, and, and he mentions the same thing as some of the other writers do, you know. Uh, uh, Abraham, it was imputed to him the faith because he did what he, you know, what he did. He, he was willing to sacrifice his son and showed by faith. But he also said in the same thing, James also said in the same chapter, show me your faith without your work, without doing anything, and I'll show you my faith by my work. So it's, it's not law or grace. It's a combination of both, and it's understanding the situation. Well, I'm going to move on to the, the next question there, but before I do, let's reread verse 10 again, just to clarify. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, question 9 then is, why did God save us? And, of course, Renee answered it somewhat there earlier. So, why do you think why did God save us then? I mean, he sees our hearts and he wants us to, to work for him and with him. And, and he wants us to be a part of his family. Um, let's go with Renee again first. Uh, thanks. So I'm going to blend nine in with number 10 because I know we're running uh, out of time. There we go. Jumping ahead again, um, huh? Well, a little bit, but I think they go together. So in, in question number 10, it talks about the good works, and it says the good works which Paul mentions in verse 10 are not the same as the works of the law, which he rules out in the Romans, which marked people as members of the Jewish community. The good works are the way of life Christians must now travel in the right direction after the disastrously wrong journey described earlier. And I think grace is that turning point. And then what are some good works for which God created us? And I would um, reference Micah 6, 8, where it says to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And then also James chapter 1, 27, where it says the definition of true religion is this, to serve the widows and the orphans in their, um, in their distress, and then to refuse to be corrupted, let the world corrupt you. So it's, like I said earlier, I feel like it is a, there's some, progressive steps. First you recognize you're going the wrong direction, then you get saved through grace, and then as a recognition of that grace and that salvation, we start living differently, and we start living with more of an other-centered perspective, which is shown here in Micah and, and James in their writings. Yes, yeah. Uh, and Barnabas, what do you want to say about that? Well, I think Renee has gotten most of that, so um, but uh, in, in reference to uh, uh, verse 10 there, uh, when we look back at the Old Testament, we are looking at how important obedience was in the eyes of God and that there was reward and punishment. And today, by believing in uh, Jesus Christ, being God sent, uh, grace abounds. And we follow the example when we come to believe in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice we then begin to not only believe in his word but to follow his example and when you look at the good works we are looking at the mind of Christ and if we go to Galatians you know chapter 5 we see the fruits of the the spirit that we should be exercising every day in our life so I believe that this uh, is, is speaking since we are his creation 
uh, and the workmanship as, as it is expressed, we are created in Jesus Christ unto those kinds of characteristics or good works. Yeah, okay. Well, because of the, uh, the time factor, let's, let's go on to the last question here and, and kind of wrap things up here. Uh, question 11. Verse 10 is one of Paul's central statements of how Christians are at the center of God's new creation. We are, he says, God's workmanship. This word sometimes has an artistic ring to it. It may be, it may be hinting that what God has done to us in King Jesus is a work of art, like a poem or sculpture. Or perhaps, granted what he goes on to say, we are like a musical score, and the music which we now have to play is the genuine way of being human laid out before us in God's gracious design, so that we can follow it. They are the way of life which he will describe more fully in chapters 4 through 6. So how do you respond to the idea that you are God's artistic creation? Yes, John. Thinking that I am God's creation it makes me feel like I am so loved, I am personally his, that I should act more like I am his creation and not a product of this world. That I can actually lean on him and not try to handle things myself. And I really need to start living by what this question is asking us. Yeah, yeah and I, I think we're all very different individuals. Thank goodness for that too. Yes, Barnabas. Being created, of course we know, in the image of God with varying talents and gifts. But it has always been somewhat of a mystery to me because ever since I can remember from the time I was a child and um, to the present time that in a way it seems that life has always revolved around me. Uh, I have, you know, my own personal pains, my own personal uh, feelings, and it all applies just to me. And it's kind of a mystery that when I go to sleep at night, uh, it's just that my dreams are my own, and whatever I feel, I don't know if you can uh, get the gist of, uh, of that thinking process that I have in this, but it is a mystery to me why I am me or you or whoever else well we're all fearfully and wonderfully made and and it's just part of God's glorious beautiful creation absolutely only a, a super intelligence could create human beings yes Renee just really quick um, I find it really comforting to think of myself as a blob of clay on that heavenly spinner whatever they like what they call it but the turn wheel right. yeah the turn wheel because then it means it takes my self-will out of the equation it takes my ability to save myself or to be good enough off the table and so then therefore the, the end result is up to him I'm being worked upon because honestly it's exhausting trying to do the work myself yeah correct uh, we got to do Reg first okay Reg 
Michelangelo stated that the art is already in the stone. All you have to do is discard the unessential bits. Mm. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Yes, Keith. I was reminded by somebody else, this isn't my, my thought, but I love it, so I'm going to take it and run with it now. But someone said when God was creating the universe and creating the earth, he, he would get done with something and say, and it is good. Well, that was creation. He's created us. And so my response to him is, when he created me, he looks at me and says, it is good. And so that helps me to establish how I'm to respond to him and everybody else. There's nobody that's not good. And that's how I'm supposed to respond to everybody that I come across. So, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Sean, do you want to say something? <coughs> I just want to add to what Barnabas, Barnabas said. Um, it just blows me away that I'm the one sitting here looking through these eyes and of all the billions and billions of people that have been created, um, the, just a little speck on the earth that God is mindful of me, that just, that just blows me away just thinking about how I'm not any greater than anybody else, but just the fact that he loves us so much that he created us and it's just, that's just amazing to me just to think that. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the blessing that we, we do have the knowledge that God does love us. He knows every single one of us. You know, he hairs my head. He knows all our weaknesses. He knows our heart. It, it's incredible that the great creator of the universe knows all that. Well, I guess we better wrap it up here for the sake of time. So let's close with a prayer here. So if you'd uh, bow your heads, please close your eyes. Almighty, eternal Father, we've come before you again for this third study to just again look at your, your glorious word here that you inspired Paul to write to the Ephesians and we're thankful for this message that you can help us to see through these words that we are just so much we are just a great blessing that you have blessed each and every one of us to be on this earth to live this life and to look for you look to the, your, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ your son to understand that and to see how it is just the whole thing is just a free gift from God that you've given us this life given us our calling and this understanding help us to see that help us to continue in this study to look to you to look for your word as inspiration and to keep on going that wisdom that, that you have given us so <clears throat> we pray that you'll inspire the rest of the service and we ask all this now in Jesus Christ's holy name Amen <clears throat>